Seeing what it's about. There you go, friends, 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 friends. Okay. Well, thank you all for coming. Someone other, I just got an allergy from something. Not you. Oh. <laughs> 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 um. So we just um, had a very nice chanting session. It was quite enlivening. Did everybody like that? That was quite. Arousing, you know, we have like these um, kirtans, and it's called a kirtan. And um, I just spent uh, six days of the 150, 15 to 30 year old youth in Tawaka, New Jersey. So if you see my eyes are a little, <laughs> we were up really late, we were really. Um, Taking the paint off the walls there for quite a while. It was, it was really, it was a real blast. I mean. So, um, this chanting of Hare Krishna. This one when I when I first came in, and I heard Brinda Priya chanting. She's one of my favorite chanters, along with the others. Um, I thought a little bit about the holy name because um, this is the essence of ultimately the essence of spiritual life. And it's mentioned um, throughout the Vedic scriptures and also biblical. It says from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, one should sing the names or praise the names of the Lord with drums and cymbals. And I don't know if they were doing the same thing we're doing or whatever, but this chanting of the holy name has a specific function and, and a purpose behind it. Um, a very nice verse that um, this whole chanting, although it's, it's an eternal process of spiritual awakening and spiritual growth um, that has been there in the Vedic literature, which was originally orally transmitted and later on um, written down some 5,000 years ago. Um, it's been there for a long time, but it was really brought to light about a little over 500 years ago by an incarnation of Lord Krishna, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Krishna. And he came at this specific time 
and place to give us a method to understand ourselves as eternal spirit soul in this body. We can understand that we're not this body, we're the soul inside. Um, the body is always changing, but yet we remain the same person inside. We can tell we, f we feel that consistency. Um, and <coughs> the inaugural is chanting because just like right now we're experiencing the summer season here in Houston. Um, when I was in New Jersey with all those 150 kids, one of the kids said, why don't we have, it's called the Sangha Initiative. Sangha means associ association. The Sangha Initiative, the Association Initiative to initiate, you know, get some different types of initiatives going. And then one of my friend's car was broken, so I lent them my car while I was gone. They sent me a picture of the dashboard of my car, and it said it was 111 degrees in Dallas. <laughs> and I said, you sure you want to go to Dallas for <laughs> GSI? So anyway, it's the summer season here. Fall is coming, winter's coming, spring is coming, right? We know this, uh, that the seasons, they come and go. So in the same way which most people outside of the spiritual teachings don't know is that the universe also runs on a spring, summer, fall, and winter schedule. And those, just like um, those, those seasons, they are of different length. Um, right, this spring is the longest, and then summer in the, in the spring is, um, what would you call it? Um, the atmosphere is really in the mode of goodness. It's really clear, it's clean. The atmosphere is very much conducive for spiritual awakening. And then um, people would live to be like 100,000 years old because it was such pristine and environmentally clean environment. You know, the environment very, very, very clean, etc. And in that age, the process of um, silent meditation was recommended, where people could sit for tens of thousands of years peacefully in meditation without any external interruption. Anybody in the room ever have 60 minutes of uninterrupted life these days, what to speak, even 60 seconds. Um, then comes the summer season, then it's diminished a little bit, little vice comes in, and the duration of life goes down to about 10,000 years. And then the fall season comes in, and avarice and different types of um, things that interfere with the spiritual nature, the spiritual vibration that is there in the spring season come into place. And people live about a thousand years. Even in the biblical tradition, we hear people living seven, eight, nine hundred years, it's mentioned there. And then we get to the winter season. Uh, and guess what? This is the winter season. We're in the winter season right now. On a universal scale, this is the winter season. The slow season, the sleeping season, the season where everything shuts down. 
and spiritually in this time uh, the atmosphere becomes so permeated by quarrel and hypocrisy it's known the first age is known as the golden age the spring is known as golden and it's silver and then bronze and this age the winter is known as iron the iron age of Kali even the word Kali has like uh, the spring season is called Satya even when you say Satya you kind of come up right you, <laughs> your body kind of Satya you know and Kali <laughs> you know, even the words have like that um, what would you say um, physical influence upon us so in this age that which was achieved by 60,000 years of meditation in Satya Yuga in the golden age the spring season is that same effect that one would achieve, that same result that one would achieve in that, in that season is achieved in this winter season. Because this winter season, um, it's described that it has a lot of conflict. A lot of conflict, a lot of confusion, a lot of resistance to spirituality. Just kind of like built into the winter season. But it's described that um, sometimes we hear of God as being omnipotent, all-knowing, or omnipotent, like all-potent. But he's also omnibenevolent. He's also always looking out for our benefit. So even in the winter, he's cool. I mean, not because it's cold outside. <laughs> it's even in the winter time, he gives us a special benediction that simply by chanting the holy names of the Lord in this age that one can derive all benefit that's there in any process of spiritual life. Uh, so it's described Cheto that all the dust, all the um, desire, all the sinful reactions that are sitting on the heart from our actions in this sojourn. Like the body, it's temporary, but the soul is eternal. And we've been here for a long, long time in this world, and we perform so many activities, and all the reactions to those activities are piled up upon our heart. Uh, they're just residing. They're just sitting there, stacking up. And um, <clears throat> that's what we sometimes call karma, right? When we, when we use the word karma nowadays in, in modern society, we always refer to it as something bad, right? You know, it's your karma. But karma just means action. Uh, it comes from, my friend is a Sanskrit scholar from Harvard, and he says it comes from the root word kriyate, which means just to do or to act. And so there's some actions that elevate us spiritually and there's some actions that keep us in this material plane here and there's some that drop us down into lower types of existences wherever we see consciousness we can understand the soul is present uh, just like the tree has consciousness it knows which direction to go because it lives a photosynthesis and it knows how to get the where to get the photo to synthesize its life it synthesizes that photogenic energy, that, that sunlight, and it, it derives a form of life in that plant-type body. 
So where we see consciousness, yatapakashya eka that wherever we see consciousness, the sun alone gives um, light to this universe, so the soul inside this body gives light to this body. So we, wherever we see consciousness, you can understand that there's a soul present there. Just like I have my body, you have your body, we have different bodies, we all have different bodies. Um, so whatever kind of body we can get, you can get a tree body, an animal body, a plant body, a fish, you know, aquatic body, bird body, germ body, you know, we can just have there's so many different types of bodies. Actually, there are 8,400,000 different species of life, uh, according to Vedic literature. And in each one of those forms of life, um, we're progressing or degressing. And especially, like say in the lower forms of life, they're in that position and they're slowly, slowly working your sentence. It's a sentence because it's material world is known as a prison house, Durantia, material energy. And it's slowly working it out till they come to this human form of life. And in this human form of life, it's like the pivoting position where we're held responsible. All those, all those other living entities that you see out there, other than human form of life, they're just slowly going up the evolutionary scale from one species to the next until we come to this human form of life, which is a life of responsibility. It's a life where we have a responsibility to understand why we're here, what is the purpose of our life, what we're meant to do and what we're meant not to do. I always give the example that um, if a dog goes through the red light, it doesn't get a ticket. Right? If the dog goes through the red light, you don't see the blue lights chasing it. Uh, if the dog, go, if we go through the red light, we'll get a ticket. Right. Yeah. <coughs> Even if the police aren't there, I was in uh, a small little village in India last year, and I got an email from the Texas Department <laughs> of. <laughs> And it was my car going through a red light picture. <laughs> Sorry? They sent it to you all the way to India. Well, the person that got the ticket, I mean, it was sent to my driver's license, which is registered in Florida because I don't live anywhere. I mean, I do. I mean, I, do live. <laughs> I mean, I do live. I mean, I'm living here right now. It's not that I'm just like floating around. <laughs> my legal address is Gainesville, Florida, because my best friend takes care of my material affairs. And so he gets a, a, a letter from the Department of Transportation from Texas, and he opens it up, and there's a picture of my car going through a red light in Dallas, Texas. Um, I won't mention the name of the guilty party. It certainly wasn't me because I was in the only place in India. So he got a ticket. He said, no, no, you don't have to skip. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to make this class reasonably long. And uh, so if the dog goes through the red light, he doesn't get something in the mail, even if he's in India in a holy place. <laughs> and, um, but the human being does. I'm responsible for that car. And so in the same way, we're responsible for our actions in this lifetime. We're, we're, we're indebted, we're, we're, we have this intelligence. The dog doesn't have the intelligence to inquire about its, its reality. 
A dog just eats, sleeps, mates, and defends. That's the animalistic propensities, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. These are the animalistic propensities, and it knows nothing beyond our brain. But the human being has something greater. It has developed intelligence. And intelligence means the ability to discriminate. The intelligence is meant for the discriminating process of what should be done and what should not be done. And so in this age, um, it, I mean, so I'll just finish that line of thought. So we have this responsibility to understand ourselves. So Krishna, uh, the Supreme when we say Krishna, because a lot, some of you are new when we say the word Krishna, the word Krishna is the name of God, and uh, it just, just like, it just means all attractive. Krishna, or if the Supreme Lord is all attractive, there's nothing more attractive than God. And so the word Krishna simply means all attractive. It's not a sectarian name, it's not a, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, like some kind of Buddha name or something. It's just, it's just the name of God that means all attractive. And so when we chant these names of the Supreme Lord, we were describing Chaito Dharpa Namarjanam Bhava Mahamya that it cleanses. The name of God is absolute. Just like if I get thirsty, I think this is water. I have to have a substance. This is a relative world. In the relative world, you have to have, the, I can't just sit here and go water, 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 and get my thirst quenched it's a relative world. I have to have the actual substance which is different than the sound of the, of the substance. But in the absolute sense, the name of God is not different than God. When we chant the names of God, when we sing the names of God, when we praise the names of God, we're actually in the association of the Supreme Personality of God. We're actually, it's described that the Supreme Lord is actually dancing on our tongues as we as we sing these sweet names of the Lord. So this association, uh, because God is the supreme pure entity. God is the supreme pure entity. And when we chant the names of God, we're actually associating with the Supreme Lord. And any, I've given this example so many times that when you enter into a, when you take an inferior element or an inferior situation place it into a superior uh, element or a superior uh, situation, it takes on those qualities. To say, for example, iron. I always give this example of iron. You take iron, which is an earthly element, and place it into fire, which is a higher element. The earthly element takes on the characteristic of the fire. And when you take that, you leave that iron inside the fire for a certain period of time, and you take that iron out and you touch it, wherever it touches becomes hot, because it's taken on those higher qualities. So in the same way, when we chant these names of God, because God is the absolute and God is absolutely pure, we become purified. The heart, all the misgiving, all the unwanted things, lust, anger, greed, avarice, jealousy, hatred, all these things that um, we wish weren't there. Huh? Most of us, hopefully. Uh, I mean, just some those in the room. We don't want these things in the heart. And so Krishna gives us that in this age, that in this age if one takes up the process of chanting the holy names of the Lord, that the heart becomes cleansed of all unwanted things. 
all unwanted things become cleansed from the heart. And what happens is that one gets a glimpse. Um, because as the cleansing process goes on, who we really are in relationship to the Supreme Lord becomes revealed. It slowly but surely erodes all that, you know, dust. Huh? We'll just say dust because that's the word that's used dust or contamination. It removes all that contamination because God has that purifying potency. And so the more we associate with these names of God, the more we become purified. And it's also stated that we begin to understand who we really are. Because right now, we have so much dust, we misidentify ourselves. I think I'm a 66, almost 66, turning 66, I don't believe that happened. All my friends can't believe it, you know, right? Because we're all 66, right? <laughs> so, I just think I'm the 66-year-old <coughs> white, Anglo, whatever you call it, Hare Krishna male that lives, that lives nowhere in Dallas. <laughs> Has gray hair, white, you know, it used to be platinum, then it turned white. When it was platinum, it was cool. It turned white. Uh, that has white hair, has blue eyes, has white skin, and I think this is me. But I wish I had some pictures of when I was, I should just carry those around with me like in my pocket or something. And when I was a kid, like five years old, like when we see these little children running around, like um, Michelin Chandra's son and daughter. There's, I have pictures of them, well, I don't have them. They're somewhere. But that's Somebody me. Somebody just uh, sent a photo from high school just right now. That's you? I feel sorry for your parents. No. That's what I did in high school. So, we have, we, we, I used to have a little child's body, but that body's completely gone. That body's gone. It's just, I have another body. But still identify with the one I'm in right now. I just totally identify with this. Identify, you know, and then those kind of bodies which agree with my body, then they're cool. And those kind of bodies that I don't think agree with my kind of body, I don't think are cool. And then the conflict begins. And it's all based on the bodily conception of life. It's all based on misidentification. It's all based on misidentifying myself for something that I'm not. Now sometimes, just say for example, I just go crazy for a second and I think I'm a dog, right? And I just start barking. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? I just start barking, and because I've gone, I'm, you know, I'm a little touched, right? They said to play way of saying crazy, right? And in India they say brain cracked. <laughs> brain cracked. <laughs> Isn't it? That's a million. I was, in, I was in another different village, small, a bigger village than the one I was in. I, I go to the same village which where Krishna appeared. And there was one man, one day he was walking around in an army suit, the next day he was walking around in a lady's clothes, the next day he was walking around in this, the next day he was walking. And I, I went to one of the shops and I said, what is this? And he went, cracked. <laughs> he was a little like, schizophrenic, whatever. Like, I didn't, he didn't know he was. Right? So, 
So I just started barking and barking, and I, and I just, you can't convince me, I'm, not, I'm just like, I'm just thinking I'm a dog, right? But what's the difference between that, me missing, getting so mentally, the, men, the what do they call those, neuro, neurons, the neuro, the connector, neural connectors, right? Um, get so out of whack that I always think I'm a dog, and I start barking, and I'll only bark, and I won't do anything besides bark. And I want to eat out of a bowl on the floor and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, and what's the difference between me getting cra that crazy or me thinking that I'm 66 years old with white hair and blue eyes and born in North Dakota, which I pray I never have to do again because it gets so cold there. You know, what's the difference? What's the difference between that? What's the difference between misidentifying myself thinking I'm a dog, being crazy and thinking I'm a dog, or being crazy and thinking I'm an American, or I'm white, or I'm male, or I'm female, or I'm this or I'm that, when actually inside I'm something completely different, it's unchanging. This is changing at every moment, but that which I am is not changing, it's just experiencing what's going on. It's just, it's just experiencing the changing of the body. It's, I'm just viewing. It's just like, I'm just sitting here like, whoa. And just watching it go by. So that, so that Krishna, that chanting of the holy name, but what happens is it cleanses that misidentification off so that we can identify ourselves as eternal spirit souls, part and parcels of the Supreme Soul that has an eternal relationship with that supreme soul, and you know, there's there's different there's there's five basic mellows or rasas they're called relationships, neutrality, servitorship, friendship, parental, conjugal. There's different types of all those relationships are here in the world. Anything that you see in the world must be also present in the spiritual world. How can anything be here that's not in the spiritual world? Any type of relationship that we have, we have friends, we have lovers, we have serve people that we, we, we serve, we have people that, like this chair is like neutrality, it, it has some purpose. Anything that we that's here must be there. But this is just a perverted reflection of the reality. It's a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. And in here, we're, our goal is to make ourselves the enjoyer or the creator or the person that's in charge, when it's actually the Supreme Lord that's the owner and controller and the one that's supposed to be uh, glorified. Not us. And when we, when we amend that relationship, when we can understand ourselves to be part and parcel of that Supreme Being, and then learn the process of devotional service, bhakti yoga, Bhakti means devotional, yoga means connecting, the connecting process, the process of connecting ourselves to the Supreme. And one of the ways to connect is through this chanting of the Holy Names. Um, hearing, Shravanam, Kirtanam are the two, there's nine processes. So Shravanam, hearing, and chanting are the two main processes for self-realization in this age. And so we begin this process of chanting, that cleansing will take place. And therefore, um, even though we are known technically in 
the Vedic literature as Brahma Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Everybody that sees me, just like yesterday, I was standing in the airport waiting to get in the plane. One lady said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm a retired American airline employee and I'm on a buddy pass standby. Can you say a few mantras for me so I get, you know, so I get some good comments <laughs> and I can get on the plane? <laughs> and I said, what do you chant? Your Hare Krishna. Because we're always chanting Hare Krishna. They just think we're Hare, we're Hare Krishna, but actually we're technically Brahma Gaudiya Vaishnavas. <laughs> so we have like a technical name. But they just see we're Hare because we're always chanting Hare Krishna. And why are we always chanting Hare Krishna? Because we have an intention. We have an intention that we want to we want to let the Supreme Lord know that we have now recognized the process for understanding our eternal relationship with Him, which is through the Holy Name. Even if you look at the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <coughs> then what comes next? Think, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, just through the Holy Name of God. Everything that's there in the, in the spiritual world becomes manifest in the heart of anyone that takes shelter of the Holy Name. That same prayer that we have, like they hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Through that name, the same thing is there, as sung by a great Vaishnava, Rambhav Gaudiya Vaishnava Hare Krishna, <laughs> some 500, four, 500 years ago, where he's saying, Golokera Premadan Hare Nam Goloka is just like we live in Dallas, right? Or y'all live in y'all live in Dallas. <laughs> I live in an airplane, right? Um, I'll, I'll be here for a few weeks. Huh? I gotta chill out, man. Um, and so, Krishna, the work, the, the place that Krishna resides is called Goloka. Goloka. Loka means planet, and Goloka means planet where one senses and the cows are very, very happy. So, Goloka pre, Golokera Prema Dana. Prema means love. It means like pure love. Now in this material world, that love is transformed into calm. Calm means desire or lust. We no longer possess love. We think we have love, but love only exists in the spiritual world between us spirit soul and the supreme soul we have temporary types of affections in this material world but they're temporary they're not eternal so it's not true love it's not true things and basically it's based on compatibility or material um, extension what do you call it extenuating situations that make us attracted to one or the other so that real love is there so Golo Kera Prema Dana Hari Nam Sankirtan. That prema, that pure love that the living and that the individual soul possesses with the Supreme Soul descends into this material world through Hari Nam, the holy name, Hari, the name of God, holy, Nam name, Hari Nam Sankirtan, <coughs> congregational chanting. When we get together and do Sankirtan. Kirtan means chanting, and Sankirtan means when people gather together in a group and they glorify the Supreme Lord, then it's Golokera Prema Dan Harinam Sankirtan. That actual prema, 
that pure love of God, which is actually within each and every one of us right now in this room, possesses pure love of God. We each and every one of us have that residing in our heart. It's just now covered <coughs> by the, the, the illusion that I'm this material body, that I'm American, that I'm a male, that I'm this, and I'm that. And as soon as we can come to the point of cleansing that up through this process, the sooner we'll experience that pure love. And that pure love is prema, means unending, ever-existing, anandam uh, ever-expanding and pure, without any tinge or any residue of unwanted things. It's, um, it's a really, uh, what would you say, lofty goal, but it's also susukam kartam aviyam. That sounds fun, doesn't it? It is joyfully performed. Susukam kartam aviyam. That this process of bhakti, this process of uniting through devotion to the Supreme Lord, it's a joyful process. Although we're a little sick, sometimes when you're sick, you don't always notice the joy that the body can have. Isn't it? You ever get sick? You just get sick and then you get jaundice. In America, we don't get jaundice so much. And, and, <laughs> In India, you can get it. Eh? <laughs> you get jaundice, and anything sweet tastes bitter. The, the tongue makes it just so bitter, you can't take it. But the, they say the cure for jaundice is um, sugar candy. And you have to take that and put it on your mouth. And it's so bitter, it's so bitter, it's so bitter, it's so bitter. You don't want to take it, but it's the medicine. Aushaudiya uh, Maya. Incarnation that brought the chanting of the Holy Name said, Aushadiya Mai, I have brought you the Aushadiya. Aushadiya means medicine. I have brought the medicine for you in the form of the glorification of the Holy Name of the Lord. Please drink this medicine. Drink it in. You know, sustain yourself with this nectarian, although bitter in the beginning. Because if I tell you, if I hold up a gram, uh, a palm full of sugar, and say it's bitter, you're gonna say, no, Mars, that's sweet. And I say, no, no, for me, because I have jaundice, it's bitter. You'll say, this is the cure, take it. Even though it's bitter, you'll know at a certain point, it'll sweeten up. It'll sweeten up and take on its real original nature, as we will also take on our original sweet nature in relationship to the Supreme Lord, without conflict, without uh, adverse, without all these things that clouding our consciousness right now. So that's a little message on the Holy Name. I was just wanted to talk a little bit about the Holy Name. Uh, would you like one more thing? Namnamakari Vahujanija, this is one of my favorites. Namnamakari Vahujanija Sarvashanti Chakarvita Niyamita Shmalanena Kalaha. Remember Kali? Everybody remember Kali? Kalaha. There are hundreds and millions of names of God. But actually, there are unlimited names of God. There are unlimited individual souls existing within this, this existence or including the spiritual existence. There's just unlimited. So, 
George. Your name is George, right? What is your mother called you? When she or Heather or Georgie? Or Georgie. Okay. <laughs> when she's mad, can I kind of use as an example? When she's mad, what does she call you? Or hey. Or So depending on the relationship and depending on the situation, he already has three names. And I'm sure you got a lot more. <laughs> I have many names. Yeah, just like Anishinaanda Chandra introduced me, we had the Jaswami. Nobody can say it, so we just say R.T. Swami, right? <coughs> Sometimes Swami is, is exchanged for Maharaj. Maharaj, Maha means great, Raja means king. So I'm not a king that has a palace, but for the Swamis it means conquered the senses. We're no longer influenced by illicit sex, intoxication, gambling, meat-eating, and all these sinful activities. We have conquered to become the Raja we become to overcome those things. So therefore sometimes we're called Maharaj. And sometimes when I used to be a, run a school for teenage boys they called me Maharaj. <laughs> like something that was just like a phantom. He's out there in the <laughs> and I'd always think I was like all pervading. Right? <laughs> so, and as just imagine so as individuals in this room I'm hoping you're going through the thing in your mind mentally what all your different names that you have been given by <coughs> those who love you, those who hate you, those who don't have, those who are neutral. There's so many different types of names we have. So the, God, so the Supreme Lord has unlimited names because he has unlimited relationships with unlimited different living entities. And so there's unlimited names of God. Nanama kari bahuja nijasarva shakti. And so unlimited names. Shakti Shakti is a word, if you go to yoga, you'll hear this word Shakti. Shakti means potency or, 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 or strength. So all, all Sarva Shakti. Sarva Shakti means all God's potencies, all God's energies are present within the name of God. And he has unlimited names that have unlimited power and unlimited energy to purify us, no matter no matter how bad you can become, you there's never a point where you're not able to be cured by the medicine Aushadi Maya, by the medicine of the holy name. The Namama Kari Shakti, and then the easy part. Namama Kari Bahuja In this age of Kali. Because the nature of this age is that we are very much encumbered by the modes of material nature, by the influence of this nature, that there are no hard and fast rules for chanting the holy names. There's no hard and fast rules. There are catalysts that enhance our chanting, therefore we're when one um, enters into this realm of Krishna consciousness, we have do's and don'ts, just like any religion. No illicit sex, no intoxication, no meat-eating, no gambling. And these are the four pillars of religious life. Illicit sex is cleanliness. If you, if you, I mean, uncleanliness. <laughs> no illicit sex means that we are, we are clean in heart and clean in mind. 
Because um, when you come to the point of illicit sexual um, life, uh, it's not only on the gross level, we have to give it up on the subtle level also. And that's, that's the next level. Sometimes we talk about next level sometimes amongst my friends. To get the mind so pure that the mind is no longer disturbed. Um, mediating, mercy. The pillars of spiritual life are truthfulness, mercy, austerity, and what did I miss? Cleanliness. Cleanliness, yeah. <laughs> sex, intoxication. If you're intoxicated, you cannot perform any type of austerity. You ever see people that take a lot of intoxication? <laughs> I have some pictures of, I know, you take intoxication, you cannot perform austerities. If you're eating, if you're um, not consciously eating and offering that which is offerable to the Lord, and, you have, and you're eating the animals and your heart cannot manifest mercy. And the last one is truthfulness, so gambling. No gambling, no this sex, no intoxication, and no meeting. And then one, these are the four pillars on which religious life stands. And when we follow these religious principles, then when we add on top of it the glorification of the holy name of the Lord, that sets us in the situation of goodness. Those four principles allow us to be almost, it's not that there's an atmosphere of such a yuga that spring is going to manifest, but the effect of following those rules and regulations elevates our consciousness. Just like the Ten Commandments are there. For some reason lately I've been getting into the biblical and Vedic thing of co correlating them together. I don't know if something happened to me. I've been watching a lot of African-American preachers and stuff on the YouTube and I really love those guys. And they, they know how to connect to the audience. <laughs> and so they have, and I listened to our teacher, the founder of this, the Krishna Conscious Woman says, the Christians have their Ten Commandments and we have our four regular principles, they're the same thing. And I'm thinking, what? And then he says, because they elevate one to the mode of goodness. They regulate one's life so you can be situated in a, on good, on a good, on the goodness. And from goodness, spiritual understanding can come. When we're under the influence of the mode of passion, there's no chance of, of, a, of a gaining real, true spiritual connection or a knowledge, what to speak of ignorance. If we're under the influence of ignorance or under the influence of passion, it's going to be very, very difficult to overcome or gain true understanding of spiritual awareness or understanding of ourselves. And therefore we avoid these things to the best of our abilities. Just like I was watching um, the little child, the little boy that says, we are family, we're beautiful, you know, t-shirt. So he's kind of, he's on the, what do you call it, toddler? Kind of like on the drunk sailor stage, <laughs> kind of walking, you know, tipping over a little bit. So as we practice this Krishna consciousness, as we begin to um, assimilate these rules and regulations in our lives, we'll tip over, we'll fall over, we'll have the little bumps and bruises along the way, but we stand back up. Just as a little child is never, if, if, he's, if a little child, say he or she just like falls over when they're trying to walk, 
the parents don't just say, ah, forget it, kid, you're never going to walk. No, they immediately, <laughs> they immediately go there, no, no, try again, try again. I remember, you know, there's a, you know, being with parents that have the children, child taking the first step, it's like a joyous day, right? It's a joyous day to see the child taking the first step. Uh, what to speak of the second step, and you're always encouraging, encouraging, and then when they're trying to run out in the middle of the night, sneaking out the window, then you're trying to keep them. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So we're always encouraged, so we're going to have difficulty huh? following everything properly, but we have to have just a little bit of dritta determined faith, determined faith that somehow or another I've fallen into this mature world, somehow or another I'm here, but if I just take shelter of the Holy Name, and if I just take shelter of that which will enhance my spiritual life, there's hope for me. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of hope for us. Krishna consciousness is a very hopeful religion. Or, we don't even like to use the word religion. It's a spiritual science. It's a spiritual science. Religion can change. Uh, I can become a Christian. You know, I was born a Christian. I became a Hare Krishna. Someone's a Muslim, they become a Hindu. Someone's a Hindu, become a Muslim. Someone's a Muslim, becomes a Christian. So religion is just another denomination. It's just another designation. A real, a real is, a real, like they'll say, Hindu Dharma. Right? Hindu Dharma. Your, your Hindu roots. But a real Dharma, a real is Sanatana Dharma. Our real occupational activity is eternal relationship with the Supreme Lord, and especially through this process of bhakti yoga. And so, as we go through this process, as we go through this process, we have to understand that there is success available. So we're very—it's a very uplifting. Although we have the hell fire and brimstone part of our shastras that are there that describe the material world in a very, very, very graphic way, which practically no other scripture does, to let us know the difficulty that we're in and how much effort we must put in. As you sow, so shall ye reap. We must sow the seed of bhakti, we must sow the seed of devotional activities in order to reap the result <coughs> of spiritual progress. And when I just like to step back to that idea of going from religion to spiritual science. It's a spiritual science. Science means you have a theory, you have experimentation, and you have results. That's science. And real science means you can take that and repetitively do it over and over again and get the same result. And we have a history in the Hare Krishna movement, not just our 50 years in America, when you go back in our tradition, thousands and thousands of years, and you'll see even very, very, and we don't like to use these words, but we'll just use them, low-class people. Low-class. We don't want to make this real. Um, when one comes to the spiritual platform, he's known as sama darshana. Darshana means seeing. Sama means equal vision. He doesn't see the difference between a cow, a dog, an elephant, a priest, or a dog eater. Whatever, whatever one is, he just sees the spirit so present. But we understand that there are people that are, uh, they are called low class. There was one. His name was Mabrari. Uh, he was a hunter. His father was a hunter. 
his grandfather was, that's all he knew. But he was trained to half kill the animals and, and he would take pleasure in seeing them, what do you call it? Wiggling and struggling and, and he took pleasure in that. And then one day, Hare Krishna showed up. <laughs> Named Narayan This is before it came to America. This was in India a couple thousand years ago. And this this devotee, this Hare Krishna, said, Murgari, I'm seeing all these half-killed animals. You're going to get some very bad reaction called Vikarma. Vikarma means actions that take you down. So I'm not going to ask you to stop your occupation, but just don't half-kill them. Just kill them fully right away, quickly, so they don't have to suffer so much. And so this Magari said, okay, but what's, what's Vikarma? He just said, what is it? So Narayamuni started to explain to him. And so he said, what's hell? Because if you do a simple V-karma, you're going to go into a lower species of life. And that for every animal that he kills, he has to be killed by that animal because action and reaction is there. Action and reaction is a law of physics. It's there. And so he started asking questions. And as Bhagavari the hunter began to ask questions, he decided, I'm going to join the Hare Krishna movement. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then, so Narada Muni left. He was with his friend Angira Muni, two saints. And then, um, long, no, Narada was by himself. And then some time passed, a few years, and this Murgari, he said, that before, he, before Narada left, he said, well, wait a second. He said, this is how I live. How am I going to live if I don't do if I don't do my killing business? And Narada said, don't worry. The Lord will provide everything you need. Just chant the holy names. So he took, he took the advice of this saint and just chanted the holy names. And then what happened is a few days later, Narada Muni is coming by and with his friend Angira Muni, and here comes Murgari. And he's walking in a, in a, in a very awkward, unusual way. And Narada Muni, what are you doing? He says, no, there's ants on the ground. I don't want to harm them. I don't want to harm the little growing, the little growing plants. I want to make sure that I don't harm anything. And then Giramuni says, who is this? He said, he used to be a hunter that half killed animals. But he came, he started taking shelter, the holy name. And now he doesn't want to harm any living entity ever again. So Narayamuni said, how are you doing? He says, by your grace, Guru Maharaj, I'm doing so well. He said, his son, how is that? He said, I don't know. Everybody heard that Margari the hunter became a devotee. And they, every time they come to see me, they always bring a little something just because you had to bring a gift when you go to see a, to go to see some, you have to bring something. So they bring me a little rice, they bring me a little beans, they bring me a little vegetables. He says, I have so much more now than I ever had before. So Krishna took care of him for following the thing. So even if we come to the point of being that part now, there's still hope. There's hope that we can become something wonderful in relationship to the Supreme Lord. 
it's already there in our hearts. It just has to be discovered. This has to be opened up through the process of pure chanting of holy names. Well, thank you. We have kind of a question, or what do you want to do now? Question, yes. Okay. Any question or comment? Yes. So yeah, as you spoke, you said the unchanged of the changing body. And I took away from that that is the soul or the truest nature would be unchanged. Would it is it static? And therefore to try to disassociate with everything within your psyche that changes and to understand it as an experience. Yeah. Would that be about it? Uh, that's a little different than there's different types of, there's two types of, there's many types of philosophy, but there's, there's personalism and impersonalism. And so, impersonalists try to, by the process of deduction and by the projects of reduction, I'm not this, 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 I'm, not this. I'm only one energy, consciousness. But we don't, we don't see that within ourselves now. I'm a person, right? It's just covered. So I do have a personality. You may like it, you may not like it, whatever. You know what I mean? And so that which I come from must also be conscious and must also have personality. And so what we do is we, we reduce these, and when, we, when these things become reduced, it doesn't mean that we just become energy or consciousness. We actually become that person that we actually are inside that has a personal relationship. It can be, again, servitorship, uh, neutrality, uh, friend, just like you'll see, or you, uh, the pictures around here, there's different aspects of Krishna. Um, you could even, you know, that's next level. <laughs> Conjugal, yeah, Krishna has a consort. Uh, and so, depending on one's relationship that's already established in the heart. That's already there. It becomes revealed. And it's not that one relationship, although there may be gradations, you know, um, to be a servant may be a little bit different than being a friend to somebody, but the person that's a servant feels totally fulfilled in that servitorship because that's its nature. And the friend feels total satisfaction in being friendship that doesn't feel that, oh, I should be a servant. They feel completely full in your, in your constitutional position. So when all those things, when we realize that we're not this body, and we realize that we're spirit soul, that spirit soul has an eternal personal relationship with the Supreme Mind, and that's revealed. That's awakened in the heart. And then, and that can happen even while residing within this body. That can happen even while residing in this body. But it's described in the, in the, in the scriptures that if that happens, we just kind of keep that private because we don't want to be walking around having people thinking that we're something that we're not because sometimes people will fake it. There's like all kinds of fake news now, right? There's all kinds of fake news, <laughs> fake and so many fake things, you know? Um, so then, but that really, that really, and one, one's consciousness, one will be in that reality. One will be in that reality. So the consciousness, it's not static, it moves, because it moves, it's a relationship. So yes. the base nature is relationship, because it's doing something. 
I get it. Thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite hear what you said because I Well, just reading what you said is that uh, consciousness wouldn't necessarily be a static state. It would be a moving state. Yes. It would be doing something. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you have this book, I forget this book. You read in the third chapter within the first four or five verses, there's one nice verse commentary where Prabhupada said, it's not a matter of being embodied that we're active, it's actually the nature of the soul to always be active. The reason we're active now is because the soul by nature is active. If the soul by nature wasn't active, we wouldn't be active. But because we are, because we are active, that the soul is active, therefore we are active. And we're, we're a person. I'm a person, you're a person, so that which we come from must also be personal. Right now, I've given this example so many times. If the, if the sunshine has heat and light, the sun must not be dark and cold. The sun cannot be dark and cold. If the, sun, if the, if the energy of the sun, which is the sunshine, has heat and light, that which, is, well, that which the sunshine comes from must also have heat and light. And so the energetic the energetic source, I mean the energy, the energetic source must have everything that's contained within the energy that it produces. So if I have personality, if I have desire, if I have all these, you know, different things in me, that must be also present in that which I come from. Otherwise, how can it be here? And that's why the impersonal philosophy has a little flaw. It, 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 it has, it has its attraction because in this material world, sometimes it, due to interpersonal relationships, we have so many discouraging, what do you call it, things that happen to us in this world that are discouraging in interpersonal relationships. We just think, I don't want any personal relationships anymore. And so that's where the impersonal philosophy comes from. And we just become one. And you can do that. There's a spot for those who want that. Just like there is a spot for, for there was there was a spot provided for me by my desire. See, it's by our desire that we become. By our desire, we we take on different types of bodies. And so, if you just want to be one, there's a spot where you can just be conscious. It's so it's called the Brahma Jyoti. It's where one is just energy. And there's no interpersonal reaction relationships. It's just oneness. But there's no inner. But there's no fear. There's no pain. There's no this. There's no that. There's no interpersonal. Re there's no interpersonal things. Which is, if it, if it could be on a pure level, it's a much higher state of existence. Yeah, much higher state of existence. Yes. Um, I have a question regarding the meat eating. Um, regarding meat eating. Meat eating. Um, I'm a vegetarian since uh, over 15 years now. Uh, many of my friends are non-vegetarian, and whenever I'm eating, when I'm going out with them, obviously I order vegetarian food, and then they go like, "Oh, we feel sorry for you. We feel sad mm. for you." Yeah, yeah. For example, today my boss took me out for lunch and a couple others at a steakhouse. And I ordered a Isn't it amazing that how when your boss takes you out, he always takes you to the same house. <laughs> yeah. And that's an expensive one too. And right. then my colleague goes like, oh, you're having a salad. I feel sal sad for you cannot taste what nature has to offer, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
how how do I answer that? Because we both, we all here in this room connect with each other. We have these vibrations that we agree on, right. so we understand why we don't eat meat. How do you explain people who think that we are made, humans are made to eat meat, mm -hmm. and because we are the top hierarchy level? Yeah. How do you explain them in a <coughs> language that? Hey, I'm vegetarian because blah 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 blah. Right, right, right. It's like the bumper sticker. I didn't climb up the food chain to eat broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, I became vegetarian prior to Krishna consciousness. Before I became a devotee, I became it. But it was ethical and ethical reasons, and. Somehow in, in college, somebody had a little piece of paper that showed carnivores, herbivores, and humans. And the humans ended up being herbivores. They ended up being carnivores according to our biological nature. Now, because we're, we're, the human form of life is, it's, it's an elevated form of life. You know, I mean, like germ life, or animal life, or plant life their consciousness is less. So this is a special situation. And so um, we can, you know, kind of be omnivores if we want, right? So how do you explain that to them? It's through whatever type of relationship you have with that person, that's how you do it. If they can understand A, then you say A. If they can understand A, B, then you say A, B. If they can understand A, B, C, then you give A, B, C. If they cannot understand A, you can just say, my doctor told me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, you know, and my doctor told me. And who's your doctor? <laughs> I can give you a list of people that I'll tell you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You know, it all depends on relationships. Sure. You know what I mean? I remember when I was in college and I was, you know, became a vegetarian for my friend, hey, carrot head, you know? You know, and I just say, hey, rabbit head, you know, whatever. You know? <laughs> and, um, and the thing is, you, you can explain, you, depending on the relationship you have with them, and you can explain to it that, I, you know, I made a conscious decision. Now, today, I mean, what, when I became a vegetarian, when I was in college, my mother just looked me straight in the eye and said, if you'll go, I'll pay for your psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> and you should have seen what she said when I came home like this. Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't even say anything, she just cried. You know? <laughs> and so, um, depending on the relationship you have with the person, you can say, you know, take a look at the environment, what animal animal, um, what, what do they call it? Modern agriculture. Modern agriculture, you know, Farm. those farming, uh, farming of animals is causing, oh, is um, causing so much problem for the environment. I mean, you can say, you know, environmentally, I just can't do it. You know, I, you can say, you know, you know like, um, ethically, I, I see the pain that the animals are undergoing. I don't see that pain, you know. And if you and if they if they can handle a little spirituality, you can say um, through 
The Bible and the, and the Vedas, they all say vegetarianism. They all say vegetarianism. And so scripturally it says, you know, environmentally it says, ethically it says, you know, so many reasons. But just depending on the relationship you have. And if your boss will fire you because you're, you know, religiously you don't want to do it, you just, you know, just avoid it. But I just always say everything, when it, when it comes to explaining different things, it all depends on the relationships that you have with the person. And it, has, and it makes it very, very personal. You know, it's very personal. You have to be very cautious. So I think we should take Prashant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other quick question? I think this new people, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I just had a question to ask. But there's some amazing things on Facebook about vegetarians and vegans, athletes that are, you know, buff, you know, and they're completely vegan and vegetarian. Yeah. So that's something, you know, and I think what Mara says about relationships is vitally important. Yeah. And those, good, those are good points because, you know, the health is de definitely affected and it's, I mean, if you just Google what she said, you'll find out you know, the deep, dark secrets of the greedy nature of Kali Yuga, the greedy nature of Kali Yuga. They're talking about the buff. When your son came with me in 2003 to, to Europe, I took a group of teenagers to Europe when, in 2003, and um, these guys were like 15 or 16 years old. They were literally doing like 500 push-ups a day, they wanted, I mean, 10,000 sit-ups, they wanted a six-pack. And I was, I was a little heavy set at that time, and I said, what do you need to do so much work? I got a whole keg and I don't do anything. <laughs> and uh, so they're doing all these sit-ups and push, and these guys were like totally ripped. You know, they were, they were you know, Dada, 
I mean, that is, he's like 6'1", African-American, looks like Mr. Clean. <laughs> he's just like, he's so strong. He's so, he's so big and so strong. And then Panchagoda's son, 6'1", just like solid rock. So what I was in the question that we do, these big festivals along the Baltic coast, we're doing these big festivals with another Swami friend of mine. There's like a thousand people there. So we have a question and answer booth. And so I would be sitting there answering questions and I have a translator, I must be Polish. And then I'd have some of the young men sit there and I would have them answer the questions so they would learn, you know, the Socratic way of teaching is, anyway, just have them get, you know, on the job training. So they would answer the questions and I would just tidy it up. So then one person said, if you don't eat meat, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to be like this. And so then I told Vish and that these two boys that had been, I said, take off your, they're sitting, I said, take off your shirts. They go, no, Laura, don't do that. No. I, said, I said, stand up and take off your shirts, right? So they stood up and took off their shirts. And these guys got you know, a 16 pack, right? And then they said, now flex. And they, and they go like this. And I said, these boys were born in the Hare Krishna movement. They have never, ever eaten meat, fish, eggs, anything like that in their entire life. Do you think they're malnourished? And the whole crowd just, you know, it was, it was over. I mean, these, these guys were definitely fit. They were not, you know, skinny, malnourished, you know, people. So many, and again, like, Nandini says, no, it's really based on, you ran the restaurant in Denver, it's all based on relationship. It's all based, if you can get, and the nice thing is, is that maybe you'll get a convert. You get someone to stop it, it's good. It's good for them spiritually. Even if they do it for material reasons, it's good for them spiritually. Okay, so Thank you, thank you, thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you all. Specifically, oh, yeah. you meet with Tyler and his brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you.